Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Mentor Podcast. Today, we're joined by Noble Gibbons. Noble Gibbons is a huge mentor of mine. And before I even really got to know Noble, one of the things that was really inspiring to me about him was his positive attitude. For those of you who have met Noble, every single time you meet him, he has a smile. He's very uh, loud and boisterous in a good way. And he's always willing to give you a hug, come up and embrace you. But the more that I got to know about Noble, the more that I thought that some of these tendencies were really interesting because Noble comes from a background where you wouldn't necessarily expect that to be the norm. Noble grew up in a relatively small town, played sports, was at the top of his class, and then ultimately went on to attend West Point and graduate from West Point. And for those of you that know anything about West Point, it's one of the most prestigious military colleges in the world, very difficult to get into. It's a very rigorous program. He ultimately learned a lot at West Point and then went on to become a commissioned officer in the 82nd Airborne as an Airborne Ranger. After getting out of the Army, he became a serial entrepreneur, owned multiple businesses, but ultimately within the last four or five years, he found his true calling. A few experiences that he talks about in this episode led him to understand how much he didn't really know about emotional intelligence, how much he was stuffing and avoiding his problems, which ultimately led him to start a consulting business where he talks to people about emotional intelligence. He now is an expert in emotional intelligence and even has a podcast called EQ Gangster. Today we'll be talking about emotional intelligence, Noble's life, and some of the lessons that he's learned about leadership both from the army as a commissioned officer, but also in life. And ultimately, as we always do, we'll be talking about mentorship. Thank you everybody, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for episode four of the Mentor Podcast. We are joined today by one of my mentors, Noble Gibbons. And uh, so far, we've only had John's mentors on here, so it's my turn to have a mentor. <laughs> uh, Noble Gibbons, also known as Chernobyl. <laughs> there we go. That's right. Go ahead and give us, <laughs> before we, before we dive in with questions, how about you just tell us about your life, where you grew up, your career path, how you got to where you are now. All right. So first of all, let me, let me give you some background, some nicknames. So Chernobyl is definitely one of my childhood nicknames. The other one is... How could it not be? Right. right? Nobel yeah. Peace Prize. <laughs> there you go. Is another one. Probably more fitting for your personality. <laughs> and then Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. Is ah, the, is the I like that one. That's so, a good one. <laughs> so those are some of the nickname, uh, nicknames I've had. So, so, so boom. I was I was I was born at an early age, <laughs> as we all were. Uh, so, yeah. right. so, born in Oklahoma, grew up in in Illinois. My dad was an ER doc, emergency room doc for thirty some years. He started out in family practice. And we know then, one of those. He's he's all right, I guess. That's right. That's big <laughs> professor Tim. Yep, he's no joke. 
And then my mom taught Spanish at a at Oklahoma University at OU. So mom's a four foot ten little Hispanic lady. My dad was a big giant white guy, so I look like my dad, but I can habla. Mm. Don't know if you guys knew mm. that. I didn't know I that. Didn't know that. Oh, nice. you, you, you've heard me, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I can habla a little bit. And let's see, grew up so I grew up in a small town in Illinois, thousand thousand people in the whole town. Twenty six kids in my class. What was the town? Gridley. Gridley. Gridley, Illinois, and then mm, moved to a much, much bigger city for me. We had 1,000 kids in my second high school and 20,000 in the town. For me, that was Metropolis. And then from there, I went to West Point, the Hudson Valley home for wayward children. Oh, there you go. Yep, went to college mm-hmm. at West Point. And, and when people hear that, like, oh, dude, you went to West Point. I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I graduated the top, bottom third of my class. <laughs> <laughs> Which unfortunately isn't a joke, and uh, and I had a four there. Nice. If you add up all four years, yeah, right, yeah, four point right. Hey, but so, you you graduated. Yeah, graduated. You, know? yeah, you made it. something. You made it. Dude. That's right. Made it. That's right. Yeah. We and, and I told told my buddies that give me a hard time for my academics. I'm like, dude, when we graduate, we all graduate as second lieutenants. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're all so, West Point graduates, man. Yeah. So so uh, and then I went to the infantry. Uh, was in the 82nd Airborne Division. Used to jump out of airplanes. Was an infantry officer in the 82nd at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and then did that for a handful of years. And then, uh, then a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of businesses. Probably part of 10 different startup businesses. What kind of businesses? So good question. So first one started out. Got my teeth cut in network marketing. Network okay. marketing stuff. Made seven figures in that. Dang, <laughs> right. dude. <laughs> So, so, uh, replaced my wife's income at 27, my income at 30. Wow. And so financially independent, 30 years old and love it. Uh, and so, uh, and unbeknownst to me, so was a very, very emotionally unhealthy environment, very toxic culture, but didn't, didn't know it because I was emotionally unaware. I had no self-awareness, had Mm -hmm. no emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so was unaware of all the 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 control and manipulation that was going on but somehow why well, i say somehow i know i know why i was very emotionally needy because i was emotionally immature so i performed very well in that environment even though it was a toxic unhealthy emotional environment performed very well to the tune of again making you know creating a, a seven figure business and 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 probably for 15 of the 20 years that i was doing that spoke all over the world Hmm. Spoke to crowds of thousands of people from, from, uh, yeah, from thousand people to 10,000 people. And, uh, so enjoyed the, the helping people aspect of it. Loved that. Right. But did not, once I started to grow emotionally, that's where we're like, Oh snap, this is, this is not, this is not healthy environment. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. So through that journey, uh, from, so network marketing got my start. Then that led into, Two medical imaging centers. Uh, one was a mobile imaging center, a handful of modalities. We had ultrasound and, and I think x-ray and that one. That failed. Then we started a fixed site imaging center that had quite a few modalities. Uh, CT, MR, nuke, bone density, MAMO, x-ray. So had a handful of modalities in that deal. That one we sold a handful of years ago. Uh, adventure leadership company, executive coaching, a government contracting business with special operations guys, Secret Scroll, Delta Force guys. Mm. I was the business guy, so I put all the deals together. They did all the, executed all the training. And, and then the, most recently, 
uh, regarding business or emotional intelligence stuff. So I started a podcast a year and a half ago on um, talking about emotional intelligence and stuff mm -hmm. due to my lifetime of being emotionally clueless, right? The, the old emotional intelligence bus drove by my house and I just like waved. <laughs> drove by. Yeah, it's a lot of us. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Definitely That's John. Right. He's yeah. got no. Especially me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no emotional intelligence That's at all. A brick kidding. wall. That's right. A brick wall. <laughs> so you've, uh, this emotional intelligence, I mean, we've, we've got some formal questions, but just since you mentioned it. Yeah. This uh, emotional intelligence business that you have now, how did you even get introduced to the idea of emotional intelligence or EQ? And then what made you decide I want to make it a business? Yeah, great question. So, so, uh, so, okay, so two things happened kind of simultaneously but unrelated. So one event was there was a, a, a guy in our business team that, that we had built who was a hardcore narcissist. Mm. Now, I didn't know what even what a narcissist was at the time, but started to hear from all these different friends of mine, like, hey, man, this guy, I'll call him Bob. This guy, Bob, is, is you know, sharing all these different issues. And, and each and I, initially, because I'm also a recovering people pleaser addict, hardcore people pleaser my entire life. Mm. And so I'm like, no, no, man, you know, he's just a type A personality. He's just type A, hard charger, but just, you know, he means well. So I'd always rationalize uh, his behavior until, until, you know, five or 10 people came, you know, kind of shared with me these different stories. And then he started to do it with me mm. because he started to hit certain levels in business where he's like, basically the vibe was, dude, I don't need you anymore. Right. You know, I can, you know, I can pull some moves on, on, you know, John and Jit. So I don't need you anymore. I, I I've arrived, right. My mm. skill level. And, and even though he was, let's say use Jits as an analogy, because we're all, we all have that in common. Let's say in the business world, I was a brown belt, maybe black belt okay. in, in, in business, in my industry. And he was a new blue belt. Mm. And so imagine a new blue belt. Thank you for making it simple for me. Right, <laughs> right, right. That's right. Imagine a new blue belt acting like, you know, oh, John's taught me how to do, you know, 100 kilos. Like, okay, I got this now, John. I don't need you anymore, right? Yeah. That's crazy talk. It's yeah. crazy talk. So, but that was his mindset. And so, you know, so anyway, so got to experience this narcissist. And for those of y'all not familiar with a narcissist, narcissist is basically somebody that's an egomaniac, somebody that the world revolves around them mm -hmm. and treats everyone like they are, that they are their minion, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are my minion, mm -hmm. right? That's someone that's a narcissist and, and does also one of their leadership techniques is gaslighting. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, uh, which is a whole nother conversation, but anyway, so, so that had that experience that was going on. And then at the same time, again, unrelated, I yelled at my wife three times in three weeks and she said three things. And this was, this was over the course of, we've been married 20 years at this point. And she's like, dude, three things. She's like, number one, don't ever do that again. Right. <laughs> number two, you've never done this before, which means number three, you got more issues than Time Magazine. Hmm. Went to counseling. Good on her for noticing it and addressing it, right? Oh, dude, yeah. she's got, which is another aspect of emotional intelligence, she has boundaries. Yeah. She does not, homie doesn't play that. And yeah. so she said, dude, we need counseling. Went to counseling. The counselor introduced me to these two revolutionary new concepts 
called feelings and emotions. What? <laughs> right? I know, right? What I know, those? I know. You're not supposed to just stifle those, <laughs> right. push them down. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so, and I'm like, dude, did you just cuss me out? Like, what? What's the? Like, I just heard an F word. Like, what are you talking about? Feelings and emotions. And so I'm thinking, you know, voodoo, sorcery, magic going on. And so he's like, no, dude, th- this is real. This, these are real things, <laughs> right? And so, and 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 it kind of upset me that. I've been studying leadership for 20-some years, since West Point, man. I've been studying leadership forever, have read hundreds, maybe thousands of books on leadership over the last 25 years. And I'm like, I have never heard anything about emotions and feelings in, in regards to leadership. So I was, I was pissed. And so, so boom, I, I, and when I, when I suck at something, I like jump all over it because I don't want to suck at it anymore. And so, boom, started doing this deep dive in emotions and feelings and stuff. And because for me, dude, it was a cuss word in the 82nd at Ranger School, like West Point, where we we're talking about feelings and emotions. Right. Ranger School, 82nd business, we're not talking about feelings and emotions. And so it really upset me that I didn't know about this. So, boom, so do the deep dive. And about a year or two into my emotional growth journey, all these different areas of my life are changing. My faith is changing. My marriage is changing. My finances are changing. My fitness is changing. My parenting is changing all these different areas. I'm like, has all this crap been impacted by my emotional dysfunction, Mm. which I didn't even know I was emotionally dysfunctional, but I'm like all these different areas. I'm like, man, I can't be the only clueless guy out there. I told, I said, babe, like we got to start a podcast sharing some of my lessons learned from the junk in my trunk, not from some, you know, cause I'm kind of unique in the emotional intelligence space. Cause a lot of people, well, I went to Harvard and I have a PhD in behavioral psychology or something, right? That's Mm. not my or I'm a big, bald, bearded, tattooed guy, air, former air, Army Airborne Ranger talking about emotions and feelings. And you can right. be as educated as you want and still be emotionally clueless. Mm-hmm. 100%. Excellent point. Yeah. If anything, that might be what, what leads you to being emotionally clueless because a lot of people who have the highest IQ oftentimes don't have great EQ. Yeah. You know, certainly. they're just super analytical, very logical, um, not super emotional. But one of the things that I think I appreciate about what you're saying is like John and I working on the fire department, I think it's getting better and maybe I can't speak for your department, but certainly very progressive. Yeah. I think it's getting better in the sense that, you know, fire departments, police departments, the military even maybe potentially are recognizing that this is a void or this is an issue. And, you know, we always like fire department, they think about how physically fit is somebody to do their job. You know, they get injured. And they rehab them for a physical injury. But we've got people who have emotional injuries too. You know what I mean? People who have psychological injuries. And to me, at least in the last couple of years, I'm realizing how important that is to be able to rehab that side of your brain too. Because we have people who leave the job because they have an emotional injury. You know what I mean? And I just feel like culturally being in a job where we kind of are the alpha males or alpha people, you are are taught that you don't acknowledge those things. You stuff and avoid, as you would say, right? right? So I just think it's cool to hear somebody who comes from your background who would totally agree with what I just said, probably from the military standpoint, at least when you were in, that's not really a thing, you know? So to hear somebody like yourself acknowledge it, I think is is a big deal. Well, and and even in corporate America, so I'm a corporate EQ coach also. So I've got a couple clients that are, are big, One's a $300 million company, the other one's a $3 billion company, and I'm coaching some of their executives and senior leaders in emotionally intelligent leader development. And it's amazing, the majority of folks that I've talked to are not even familiar with what is it? What is Mm -hmm. EQ? 
and it's and I, I have fun with it, right? Because they they see me with tattoos and stuff, and they ask you know I ask them what they do, then they ask me what what I do. I'm like I teach emotional intelligence. <laughs> They're like what? Yeah, <laughs> like what? Yeah. What 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 is? I don't even know what that is. Right. And, and one guy at, at Jits at Prime said, uh, I don't know what that is, but I think. If my wife heard that, she would want me to get more of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's totally true, yeah. probably for most of our wives, right? I just right. think that's just kind of like the typical male thing is to stuff and avoid those things. Right. right. When I think of emotional intelligence, I, I generally think, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not nearly as familiar as you are, I generally think just being aware of other people around you. That's kind of like the the foundation of it. When, when I'm thinking of it. Is that correct? That is an aspect of it. Okay. So there are four categories to emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, social management. So or like another, being able to acknowledge other people's feelings. So here's the it's definition. The social aspe- aspect. Here's the definition of emotional intelligence. The way my definition is, Noble's, Noble's definition, is the ability to acknowledge, identify, process, and manage your own emotions and the emotions of others. Hmm. So I'm going to give you a perfect example for JITS people. There was somebody yesterday, I won't mention his name, there was somebody yesterday in class who I could tell the nonverbals were off. Hmm. Was it me? No. (laughs) 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 No, no, no. And actually, you've done it a number of times on me. Yeah. Noble, dude, I can tell something's up. What's going on? Yeah. And not many people even notice that. And I will tell you, most people that are your personality don't ever notice that mm-hmm. stuff. Type A, the, the, the type is called choleric, is, is your personality. Or if you use disc, it's the dominant personality. Is not You're tip- so dominant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it depends on who I'm with. <laughs> you're, you're, you're much more dominant than we're doing jiu-jitsu. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So if you're a dominant personality or the choleric personality, that type A personality, most are not very socially aware of, mm. of other people's mm-hmm. body language. And that's where most communication is actually nonverbal. Mm-hmm. 80, I've heard of 80%, 90% of communication is nonverbal. And so there was a guy in class, I could tell was off. I went up to him, I'm, hey man, you all right? Oh yeah, I'm fine. Right, the party line, fine. Sure. No, dude, you don't have to play the game with me. Like, this is what I do for a living. I read people, like, what's up? Well, to be honest with you, man, I'm, I'm really nervous about my upcoming competition. And my emotions are just, um, you know, and I said, dude, I got an episode for you. Check out this episode because that's something that impacts all just people right. is are you able to, to harness your emotions so that you perform to optimal performance on game day or you let them take you over and either underperform or overperform on game day. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, that's, that's a, that's a practical jujitsu example of social awareness right um you know and and then also social management my being able to help this guy potentially with with being able to manage his own emotions gotcha Mm -hmm. okay can you explain the different personality types real quick so you mentioned who you know like i i would assume john and i are probably similar personality types i guess maybe uh there's a mix so you have i think a similar mix but i think that you are more choleric your more dominant would be your primary. That's yeah, right. You are. Yeah, you, you hear are. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, so here's the four. So I'm, I'm going to use the two. beta male in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're Zulu male. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
<laughs> Except it's on, when it's on the mats, then it, then it changes, right? <laughs> and so, so I'm going to use two different models to explain it. So, what, and then, of course, there's Myers-Briggs. So, and then there's Enneagram. There's all kinds of different ways to, to do this. So using a book called Personality Plus by Florence Littower, she uses four personality styles called choleric, melancholy, phlegmatic, and sanguine. So if you look at a quadrant, right, you imagine a quadrant like with crosshairs in the top left corner, you have sanguine, which is me, the outgoing, the extrovert, Mm -hmm. life of the party kind of thing. Right. And then on the bottom left corner, you have phlegmatic, which is the super chill, doesn't get ever excited, doesn't get bummed out, just steady. Lee Douglas. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, And likes, likes, likes people. Yep. Oh, it's not Lee no, then. It's not Lee. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. There's there's a couple similarities in some of these personalities. Um, so they recharge around people because that's another way you tell what someone's personality is, how they recharge. Mm-hmm. Do they recharge alone? Do they recharge around people? So, And that's the left too. So sanguine top left, phlegmatic bottom left. Or if I'm using the DISC model, it would be influencer and then also the steady okay. is the two for the I and the S. And... Uh, those two are relationship oriented. Then you have on the right uh, quadrant, you've got in the bottom, I mean, the top right corner, you've got choleric or dominant, who is the type A driver in your face, unemotional. Typically, the dominant and the steady or the phlegmatic are the least emotional of the four personalities. And then on the bottom right corner, you've got the melancholy or the conscientious. If you're using disc and the melancholy are the perfectionists, the attention to detail, the creatives, mm. but also the sanguines and the melancholies, the influencer and the, and the, uh, conscientious are, are typically the most emotional and the most sensitive mm. of the four different personality styles. So those are the four personality styles. And, and I saw one of your questions not to get ahead, but I think it's critically important to understand again, like JITS. To understand what someone's style is when you're mentoring somebody, mm-hmm. right? So you were the first guy that's like, dude, let me show you some big guy moves because mm-hmm. I'm a big guy. So for me to try to do a whole game of Barambolos. Let and- me show you how to strength my way through this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how much can you bench? Okay, yeah. let me show you something. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that doesn't help me out because I, I, uh, I, I don't have strength. I have to use pressure and, and, and weight and stuff because I'm out on the strength department too. But, you know, just knowing what someone's style is, right. like, so to, to get, right, so anyway, for me, I think that's very important in mentorship is to know how someone's personality is because every personality views the world differently. Is there, are you, do, you have, do you have any, because I'm not really, I think I know which category I would fall in, but I'm not positive. Sure. Is there, are there tools to figure out, okay, maybe I'm this, just for my own betterment. Oh, 100%. Percent. this. Yeah. 100%. So the, the, the easy one is that book, Personality Plus. Okay. Definitely recommend that. It's got, a, it's got an easy test. I can even send it to you guys. Mm-hmm. Very easy test to fill out. takes five minutes. Uh, then, there, of course, there's the book, Disc, that you could read on Disc style. But again, it's, it's basically all the same. It's just different, different names yeah. for the same. Of course, then you've got the Myers-Briggs test, which is also very helpful. I've taken that. That's the one I've taken. And, and that one, go, and I like that too, it goes into more depth right. than Personality Plus. But for starters, yeah. I recommend Personality Plus. Mm-hmm. It's very easy. And, and what's great is you can tell someone's personality. For me, I can tell in five seconds. Like you already know what John and I are. 100%. Okay. I, I, when I first met you guys, I know what's what your John? personality is. 
So I would say <laughs> phlegmatic melancholy, okay. All right. which is super chill. Now, here's where initially I was going to say you were phlegmatic also, but here's where the, the one personality that can throw off is the choleric. An introverted choleric comes across as a phlegmatic. What and what what is that in layman's terms? What does that mean? Yep. So so the choleric again is a type A driver, yeah. yeah. kind of unemotional. But both of those personalities are unemotional: the phlegmatic yeah. and yeah. the choleric. Um, but the phlegmatic is not type A. Uh, okay. Okay. Phlegmatics are just super chill. Yep. Right. And so cholerics are type A. But if you're an introverted choleric, you can come off. Uh, you can look like a phlegmatic, but you're not a phlegmatic. Right. Right. Typically, cholerics are very opinionated, have opinions on everything, mm. right? Yeah, They're, you do. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Drivers, very opinionated. It's my way or the highway. There's one way to do it, and that's my way. Just ask me. Hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times, too, cholerics are natural leaders. Phlegmatics are more people-oriented than cholerics. Cholerics and melancholies, I forgot to say this. The, the cholerics and melancholies, the dominant and the conscientious are more task oriented. Mm. They're not as people oriented. Mm. All right. Now, and most people are mixes of two, right. at least two. Got it. So you could be dominant influencer. You could be a conscientious steady. And you could be a melancholy introvert or extrovert and a choleric introvert or extrovert, right? Is that okay? So, so this gets more complicated. A little bit more. So here's another level. So the, the, the bottom two, the phlegmatics and the melancholies are typically introverts. Okay. Very rarely. So the unnatural mixes are going cross, you know, at a diagonal. So it's rare to find a choleric phlegmatic. Very rare. Those are unnatural mixes. Mm. Or a sanguine melancholy is also unnatural mix. They're out there, just doesn't happen very often. Mm. So typically you're going to have a phlegmatic melancholy or a choleric melancholy or a sanguine phlegmatic or a choleric sanguine. So going around the box are normal, nat- are mostly natural mixes. Um, so typically your bottom two are your introverts. Your top two are typically your extroverts. Mm. Now, unless you have a choleric melancholy, so, so, so my wife is choleric melancholy and my daughter is melancholy choleric. So both of them are, are introverts. Mm. Here's another thing too is how they process information mm. is another thing. So do you process externally? Do you need to talk through a, a, a concept or a point? Or are you an introvert? Are you are you an internal processor where you have to think about it before you talk about it? Mm. Right. That's another way to kind of tell what someone's personality is. Also. Mm. Okay. So you were you were actually just about to talk about how knowing someone's personality type can help you as a mentor. It's it's massive, man. When you <clears throat> and this is part of the stuff I do when I coach corporate clients <clears throat> is sometimes as leaders. We expect everyone to view the world the way we do. Right. Well, not even leaders. As people. Mm-hmm. As people. I, I just expect that you're going to view the world, that, that you're going to love people the way I love people. Mm-hmm. Well, my wife, I tried that with my wife. It was so funny. And, and <laughs> so we, here's a quick story. We went date night early on in our, in our marriage. And we, again, we've been married 25 years now. Early on in our marriage, went, went to one of the, the uh, we call it a chop chop restaurant where they, the, the Japanese steakhouses where they do the chop and oh, the, yeah. do the big fancy table and the. Like a hibachi? Hibachi, hibachi. Yeah. That's it, hibachi. And so, <laughs> so we went to the restaurant and, you know, it's, it's typically two on one side, then there's four and then there's two in terms of the seating. 
Well, she sits at the very end of the two. So she's not sitting next to anybody, which is a total type A move. Mm. Yeah. Don't, I don't want to sit next to anybody. I do that. Yeah, you do. Right? But me, I want to sit next to the four. Yeah. So yeah, I can you, hang you out. I want to meet right? some people. I want to meet the them. peeps. Yeah. I want to talk to the peeps, right? We're on a date night. So it just so happens there's a, there's a drunk guy sitting next to me. Well, we, we're instant BFFs, right? I'm like, oh, bro, <laughs> what's up? What do you, you know, tell me about yourself, right? So I'm hearing his life story. Boom, we get done with the whole meal. We're walking out. Of course, cholerics, type A's, are terrible at their poker faces. Mm. I can, you can tell immediately how a cholerics feeling. If they're pissed, everyone's going to know they're pissed. If they're happy, you're going to know. So I could tell immediately we're walking out. My wife, she is stone cold Steve Austin, right? I'm like, babe, great date night, right? And she's like, boom, smoke coming out the ears. And her lower lip quiver. Now, when her lower lip quivers. You're in trouble. Oh, yeah. dude, it's on like Donkey yeah. Kong. It's about to be about <laughs> to be real. And so she's like, no, but can I give you a suggestion? Now, that was code for us. when we when, That's one of our SOPs, our standard operating procedures. When she says, can I make a suggestion, I need to put on my full body armor because mm. she's about to drop it like it's hot. Mm-hmm. She's about to give me some some corrective feedback <laughs> right and so she said can i make a suggestion I'm like i'm like give me a sec hold on give me a sec right so i kind of loosened up a little bit i'm like okay go ahead hit me she's like do you realize that if if you just ignore people they won't talk to you and, and i'm like i'm trying to understand like what like are you joking are you being serious with me and she said and I, i'm like what are you talking about she's like well you sat next to that guy you talked to him the whole night if you just ignored him he wouldn't talk to you I'm like, why would I do that? She said, Noble, we were on a date night, bro, and, and you didn't talk to me once. Mm. And immediately I'm like, oh, man, totally, totally dropped the ball, right? Yep. And so it was, we got a big giant, I call it IFF, Intense Family Fellowship, IFF. And I'm like, babe, wh- I would never, and here's the thing going back around about how we view the world, I would never ignore somebody. Telling a people guy to ignore people, mm. dude, you, like, that's my, that's, and especially to a people pleaser addict, right? You, n- I would never ignore somebody, right? Well, for her, that's just part of her. She, she never not ignores somebody. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? And so, that's my point: is that we all view the world differently. So, in a in a men- mentorship scenario, I want to understand who my protege is, who the mentee is, so that I can, and the better I understand them and me the more effective I can be as a coach and a mentor to communicate things in the language and the grid from how they view the world. Right. Because if I try to tell a choleric, oh, in fact, let me give you a choleric example. So this is what a lot of cholerics do. A lot of clerics will say, and you read it in the books and their speaking engagements and stuff. Well, just you just got to believe in yourself. That's a 100% cleric thing to say. What, to tell a melancholy or a sanguine who's got who's insecure, who's got self condemnation, who's who's got all these self image issues, to just believe in yourself, how how do you do that? I don't even know how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But to cholerics, well, just believe in yourself. Just make better decisions. <laughs> don't be an idiot. Right. Those are all choleric comments. Yeah. Well, dude, there's a lot behind that, right? There, you can't just believe in yourself. Maybe yeah. a choleric can, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's an example of like, okay. Uh, or, or for saying one, I would just say, well, just love people. Yeah. Well, just treat people better. What, to a cleric, like, wh- what? You yeah. know what I mean? It, it's, it doesn't compute. So mm. when you can better understand how what someone's rolling style is, 
are they a big guy? Are they a little guy? Is it Noble or is it Cam? You know what I mean? Like completely different rolling style. So it's, it's very important to be an effective, to maximize your effectiveness as a coach or a mentor to understand yourself and to understand who it is you're mentoring. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm. I actually think that would kind of talking about his personality, you know, and his personality type would go well with what you were going to ask. Uh, yes. So my first question for you, what made, what made me notice you initially was how incredibly positive you are at Jiu-Jitsu. And I'm sure that comes from you being a people person, um, but it's contagious. Uh, and I don't even know if you've met Billy yet. Uh-uh, I don't think But I you have. guys, he comes in the morning class primarily. Oh, okay. Um, he's very similar. Just life of the party, um, ready to make anybody in the room feel great about themselves. Um, what, what fuels, and it might even just be your personality type, like you were saying, but what fuels your positive attitude? Because you can tell it's genuine. It's consistent every time I see you there. What are you telling yourself? What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, great question. So, so a few things play into that. One, definitely how I popped out of the womb, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm sanguine. Mm. So that is definitely my, my personality bent. Number two, my people pleaser addiction <clears throat> also played into that. That kind of got me started on I watched my mom. I watched my dad. My dad was a phlegmatic melancholy. So big giant teddy bear, but who loved people because he was phlegmatic. So they, those are people people are phlegmatics and sanguine. So he had that dynamic and I got to see how, so as you imagine, he was a six foot four, 285 pound ER doc. So imposing figure, people would come into the ER freaking out. This would, now this is, you know, he died about 11 years ago, so he's not around anymore. And this is all pre all the lawsuits and stuff like that. So I don't know if he'd be able to do it anymore, but back in the days what he would do is when they'd come in freaking out, he would immediately hug them. Hmm. Mm. He literally, and, you know, when he'd take me to work to the ER sometimes, I would watch these people coming in freaking out. He, This big, giant man comes in and just bear hugs them. Just gentle guy. Phlegmatics are teddy bears. They're the just te- teddy bear. Everybody loves a phlegmatic. They're non-threatening. They're not imposing. He would just hug them. And I would watch them completely melt. Mm. And whatever they were freaking out about, they're no longer freaking out about it. And then he'd bring them into their, to the room. And then he would say, okay, so now tell me what, you know, where does it hurt? What's going on? Right. And they were calmer. So I saw like just from a, 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 a practitioner standpoint, like, wow, like now he's not having to try to fight through all their emotions. Speaking of emotions, right. And them freaking out when they were, when they would chill out, he was able to more effectively diagnose and assess what was going on with them. So I saw that. And then my mom was, was a big giant. <laughs> was a big giant people pleaser uh and a server right so she would serve people and uh and you know and i think she you know maybe she's kind of grown out of some of that but she was a just i saw her serve everybody she would just serve everybody if they were drug addicts if they were alcoholics if they were she'd pick them up and and off the side of the road and bring them home with us and feed them and take care of them and all, just and I saw how, how she, and then she, I saw also my mom is the most fascinated person about people I've ever seen in my life. So she could be, be the janitor or a CEO. 
she would like make you feel like you were the only person in the world and the most interesting person in the world. Mm. And I saw that impact that it had on the receiver, the receiving end of that. I thought, man, that's a like that's like transformational. Like that, that's really and and my mom told genuine and stuff, right? So I saw that from my dad and my mom, and then throw that in, in with my my emotional neediness, people pleasing addiction, and I think all and then my, my relationship with Jesus. So I'm, I love Jesus. And just some of the values that Jesus has and how he rolled with people. Um, John 13, 34 and 35 says, By a new command I give you, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What was Jesus' personality type? He was a combination of all four. Okay. Now right. his disciples were different. All right. I was probably like Ranger Peter. Big Peter? Yeah. This guy spoke first and thought, later yeah. right yeah. so <laughs> right he was kind of that type a life of the party or big paul right ranger saul he was big saul you know large and in charge killing people all this kind of stuff but then once he turned into paul he you know had this whole conversion deal turned into paul saying you know as zealous but for good stuff not bad so right so jesus i would say was all four personalities but each of the disciples was was a different different mm -hmm. personality so mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's how I got that kind of, but now that I'm emotionally healthier, I can come from a place, not from an emotional neediness when I'm engaging with people, but from more of a genuine place that I'm going to be more authentic in who I am, which allows people to feel safe to be who they are. Hmm. They don't have to be some kind of certain way. Now I, I feel like, uh, I, I still love people like I did before, but before I was coming from an emotionally needy place, now I don't need anything from from that other person. Now, you've brought up emotional neediness a few times, and you may have mentioned this a little bit earlier. Would you associate that emotional neediness with being emotionally unaware? Great question. No. Okay. I think they're different. Okay. I think being being unaware of emotions and being emotionally needy are very different. Okay. And and let me give you some more context. Lottie Dottie, everybody gets their emotional foundation from our childhood. Mm. Mm. Everybody. You you can't not get your emotional foundation from your childhood, right? So the emotional healthiness of the parents is going to impact the emotional healthiness of the children. Yeah. If you have emotionally dysfunctional parents, very good chance you're going to be emotionally dysfunctional. Mm. Here's a great quote I got from one of the guys I interviewed on episode 59 of our podcast, EQ Gangster. He said this. He said, if you don't deal with your emotional issues, your children will. Wow. That's a great point. Fire. Wow. Yeah. Not just that. If you don't deal with your emotional issues, your family will, your friends will, your coworkers the burden, will. The burden belongs to somebody and you better handle it. We're all yeah. on the receiving end of each other's emotional intelligence yeah. or lack thereof. Mm. I'm on the receiving end of your JITS game when we roll. I'm on the receiving end of your, you're on the receiving end of my JITS game. Same, likewise, and the cool thing is with you guys, you guys roll at my level, right? Because you, I, I can't roll at your level. So, but with emo, with emotional intelligence, you roll at your level. So when John cries after practice, <laughs> <laughs> he should have just not You're gotten like the tapped. Parent. <laughs> yeah, instead, <laughs> you pass it, pass along trauma to me. 
That's right. And now I have to pass along trauma to okay. Noah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I get it now. Now I get it. Yeah. This rolls down. Yeah. That's right. That's okay. right. Okay. That's so right. would you say that that's the reason why, you know, like there's just this old adage that a lot of times parents end up becoming their parents. The way that they treat their kids is because of how their parents treated them. 100%. Right? And I know for me personally, like I, my mom did the best that she could, but she wasn't always the best mom. Got physical at times with me. My dad really wasn't in the picture. And I was kind of on the opposite side. It was like when I became an adult, I had this recognition that I didn't want to be like my parents. You know, I wanted to be a better dad than my dad was. I wanted to be a better parent than my mom was. But I think a lot of people, they don't stop and think that way. Or they don't have the self-control to process that way. And then they end up just doing the same thing that their parents did. And then it's just a perpetual cycle. 100%. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a male version of my mom. Mm-hmm. And luckily, she's great, you know. But it could have very well been a different scenario. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We learn the emotional dysfunction from our families. But it is up to us to take ownership and responsibility for wherever we're at emotionally. So mm. our dysfunction may Hold not... On, I just want to rewind on that really quick because yep. I really believe in what you just said. Yep. It, is, it is totally up to us to take ownership and responsibility of where we are at emotionally. And that that carries true for everybody, no matter what scenario you're in. That's right. And I, I guess you could argue, okay, maybe it doesn't doesn't necessarily carry true for a six-year-old. He hasn't... They're not going to have that capacity yet. But mm, you get in your teens, you get in your early adult life, you got to stop blaming people, and it, it is up to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to break that down even to, to further, so I want to split it. So how we are treated as children is not our fault. Yeah. We're on the receiving end of our parents' emotional Absolutely. maturity and intelligence, or lack thereof. So... So that, so that's number one. We, it is not our fault that we get physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused. It's not our fault. When we leave the house and are on our own, we need to take responsibility for where we are at emotionally. But where we are at emotionally is not, again, is not necessarily our fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but it is our responsibility to fix and heal and grow wherever we're at emotionally. Mm-hmm. Love it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, and, and that, I think that's an important differentiation because what happens a lot of times is kids, well, it's my fault that my mom treats me this way. Mm-hmm. It's my fault that my mom abuses me or, or, or mistreats me or my dad or whatever. No, that's not, that's not the case. In, in fact, a lot of times when I see children, when I see kids, and it's a whole other area that maybe ruffles some feathers, but when I see kids that are, you know, acting psycho, what's the parents' fault for not training them? Mm-hmm. We have a kid, right? So, well, well, no, but you just don't understand my kid. No, 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 I've got, I've got, I've got a kid as well. How intentionally are you parenting? How intentionally do you train your child? It's like, it's like, and, and I'm going to use a military analogy. This is going to sound cold and I may get some grief for this. If you don't train the soldier, if you don't train me in jits, I'm going to be soup sandwich, right? Well, you can tell what some of the quality of someone's training is when you roll them. If I, when I came over to, uh, to, to Prime two years into my jits journey, 
Well, or dude, there's a, no, I'm not going to say the names, but so there's a, a, a blue belt, a couple stripes, handful of stripes, roll with him. And he's, he's kind of new and, and I'm, you know, and at the time, blue, cherry blue belt, no stripes. And I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, e- either my jits has been really good or this guy's jits training has not been good, right? He, his belt level did not fit his performance, in my opinion, yeah. as a cherry blue belt. Same thing with parenting, right? When you, there are some kids that act, act nuts. And I get there, there are some kids that have chemical imbalances or whatever, but more often than not, if the kids are acting nuts, it's because they weren't either. There's two things. They weren't trained intentionally by their parents or two. If a child does not have an emotionally stable environment to grow up in, it will absolutely impact how they relate to the world. Mm-hmm. So if they grow up in an emotionally unstable environment, an excellent chance that kid is going to act psycho. Yeah. Right. Because they have, you know, because of the environment that they're in and add on top of that, they're probably not intentionally parented. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but when you intentionally, like, so for us, we never went through the terrible twos. We never went through the terrible teens. Now our daughter's 13, so she's kind of in it right now, but we've, we've intentionally parented her and trained her from the jump on how to deal with and manage and process her own emotions Mm. from the time she was two, three years old. We were doing this, right? As, oh, your daughter's so great. You're so lucky. No, no, no. We work for, yeah, we, we work for it, right? We put in the work. We were good parents. You know, you laid the foundation for them, right? You just popped out as a purple belt and a black belt. Yeah. Well, 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 no, actually I've spent 10,000 hours on the mat and 10 years rolling. Like, right. This is not just, didn't just happen. You know? So, um, I want to kind of come back a little bit in your timeline because I think this is a really interesting experience that you had. Not many people will be West Point graduates, right? And you talked a little bit about your grades and it's funny that you mentioned that because even though I wasn't super close to my dad, I was closer to my dad when I was younger and he was a West Point graduate and didn't get great grades. Like he skated through high school and did fine. But then when he got to West Point, like his GPA wasn't good. And I remember him telling me that like while he was there, there were so many times that he wanted to leave that school just because it's so much harder than if you just went to a typical university, right? Um, the selection process is rigorous to get into West Point. You have to be something special. So talk a little bit about what West Point taught you about yourself. That could be characteristics. That could be leadership. It could be mentorship or even, you know, your personality type. What did West Point teach you? And then after you talk about West Point, talk to us about what being a commissioned officer in the Army taught you. So West Point, <laughs> West Point taught me uh, very similar to Jit's experience. I was a a a, a small fish in a big pond. Mm-hmm. So at, in high school, I don't remember top ten in my class out of you know the, my second class was maybe. I think 500 kids in my second class versus my, my first high school, like I told you guys. So my, my, my second high school experience, again, 500 kids in my high school class, and I think I was top 10, but studied my butt. Nothing came natural to me. I worked my rear end off. But once I got done with football, basketball practice and stuff, and I'd be the first guy at practice, the last guy to leave, basketball and football practice. And then schoolwork, I'd eat, take 30 minutes to eat when I got home, and then from 
like maybe 9 p.m. until 2 a.m., I would do homework and then I'd get up at 6 a.m. and be back at the gym to work out in the morning. That was my high school experience. So work my butt off. Get to West Point. So top 10 in high school, I was, you know, did, did decent on the football team, What was kind of a smaller guy on the football team and stuff. And basketball team, I played but wasn't one of the rock stars. I get to West Point. Everybody is top 10 in their high school class. Mm-hmm. Everybody's the valedictorian and salutatorian. Everybody is the team captain. Everybody played four sports. Everybody got 4.0s and A's in, in, in high school, right? So everybody was a stud. Everybody was smarter than me. Everybody was more athletic than me. And, you know, if you had an ego before, like you got humble very, very quickly. It's like when you told me about when you went rolling at Marcelo Garcia's gym. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, you rolled with 20 or 30 black belts. That I didn't roll with 20 or 30. I roll with a handful, and they all trash me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bad. Right. So very humbling experience, yeah. right? And, and so, you know, that's what, that's what it was like at West Point. And so, um, what, so from a learner's perspective, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a learner addict, too. I, I'm a, I like to call myself a professional learner. As a learner, it was like, man, I'm surrounded by brilliant people that are studs at everything. So it's like, well, crap, what do I want to know about? Well, I want to know about this. Okay, well, let me go talk to Herrera about this because he's a stud at that. Well, let me go talk to Roy about this because he's a stud at this. So from a learning perspective, man, it was it was amazing because, I I mean, yeah, everybody was a stud at, at something. And it was just really neat from a learning experience. There's a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth phenomenal book the first chapter is about west point's selection process there's another book called bleeding talent by an air force academy grad who studied 230 west pointers the military and the army is great at attracting entrepreneurial leaders Hmm. terrible at keeping them or managing them isn't the ceo or the former ceo 7-eleven wasn't he a west point graduate yes yeah mercedes uh, 7-Eleven, a lot of West Pointers mm-hmm. out there in corporate America and stuff. Yeah. And so it's kind of ironic. So you, you learn, one of the things, I, other things I learned at West Point was peer leadership is one of the hardest forms of leadership. So immediately you get there, they give everyone leadership positions. Well, we're, we are all equally clueless. You yeah. think about it, we're all 17-year-olds, all of us. I mean, there's a couple prep folks that were in the military before, so they were studs, but... 99% of us are all 17, 18 year olds coming right out of high school. And now I'm in charge of you. And, but we're all white belts, but I'm in charge. I'm the one leading class. It's like, well, dude, you don't know how to do an arm bar. Well, no, I know. It's really dangerous. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so that was the dynamic. So you've got all these white belts and, but they put us in charge of each other running class. And I've got to run a class of 30 kids that are all my same age or run a class of 300 kids are all my same age. So, and, and you have to deal with everyone looking at each other like, well, dude, you, you're as coolest as I am. What are you telling me what to do? So peer leadership is very, very challenging. So you, for me, it's like, okay, you, you really have to dial in your leadership skills because you can't just like, well, do what I do, do what I tell you to do because I'm in charge. Like, come on, dude. Right. Like, no, you got to give me more than that because, we're all, you know, you got to give me some why. 
What are we trying to accomplish here? You got to give me some perspective. Give me some context of what's going on, right? So that's another thing I learned. Um, I also learned, man, when you're when you're in an environment of of alphas, it's a it's there's four thousand alphas, men and women. Everybody's an alpha. Uh, being in that environment is is contagious. When you surround yourself with with high performers, there's not like the 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 option to think. Well, I'm, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna take a break right now. Does not even is not even on your being because you 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 have to give a hundred percent just to stay alive. You know what that reminds me of? What Miko was talking Remiko. about. Yeah. We asked him, what does it take to be world-class in yeah. something? And he said, the biggest That's thing, a well, common theme. desire. But then the second part is surrounding yourself with world-class people. Because you surround yourself with that kind of person, you become that kind of person. Yes, mm. that's right. Yeah. I love that interview you guys did with him. That was amazing. I can't wait to meet this guy. He's it's, still the it legend. It blows my mind because, I mean, selfishly, I've been going to Ramiko's house all year for COVID. Which is why he hasn't been coming into Prime. <laughs> so it's kind of my fault. Um, but I'll get him to come back in soon. That would yeah. be awesome. Because yeah. the same thing was about Adam Wheeler, right? I heard about this legend, Adam Wheeler, you know, walking the halls of Prime, yeah. right? I'm like, who is this guy, right? And then you meet him, he's just some punk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just... Way smaller. <laughs> not, not my words, Adam. No, Noble's words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, that's a whole other ballgame, right? Because, like... I'm bigger than most people that I roll with, again, minus the John Roy's and some other guys. But well, most you're bigger people, than me, too. No, I am, but yeah. not muscle-wise. Oh, John's very dense. Yeah. <laughs> Fluff-wise, yeah. sure, but <laughs> muscle-wise, you definitely got me. It's, but rolling with with Adam, man, it, it is like – and I did a podcast episode on rolling with Adam, actually. Not with him, but just me talking about like it. the whole hour just talking about it? <laughs> it was, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never – like. I literally, I literally felt like I was five years old. Like he, no, your arm is going to go here and then your leg is going to go over here. Right. I'm like, well, I don't even know what is going on. It was, it was, you know, and knowing that he's an Olympic athlete and this guy's been rolling for, you know, however long, 30 years or, I mean, wrestling, but you know, anyway, he's a monster being surrounded by world. That's why I love prime. Mm -hmm. I rolled recently at another gym, won't mention the name. And, you know, I, I think I told you. After the, the first class, like no one rolled, like the drills were done, and they're like, "Okay, class is over." I'm like, "What about like the rolls? Like, aren't we going to live?" They didn't roll? train. They did. So they're like, no, "Well, if you if you want what? to, you can ask someone." You know, I'm like, "So I'm, but, again, I'm the new yeah, guy. I want to get nine rounds in. Let's go." <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm the new guy. I'm like, "Hey, does anyone want to roll?" And I'm trying to make eye contact. And, you know, All looking away. <laughs> like oh, looking away. Man. So like, well. We roll after the second class, after the advanced class. I'm like, oh, okay, got it. But mm. still, I was like, how does a new person learn? How does a new person get good? Well, what's weird, too, in the jiu-jitsu community is there are some some people that don't believe guys should roll till they've been training for like over a year, which I don't agree with at all. No. I feel like, at least for me, from my learning style, I learn a lot from just getting out there and rolling. Yes. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and if nothing else, I think for a white belt, because that was I think was one of your guys' questions too. If nothing else, like for a white, my, I tell I keep telling the white belts, my first two years because I'm, I'm again bigger than most people, I I started on my back. That's how I started the role in 
uh, uh, the least dominant position because I know I've got everyone by 50 to 100 pounds. Mm. So let me just start in that position of weakness. And so now when you guys put me in those spots, I, I'm fine. That's the best yeah. thing you can do, man. When you see John and I train together, it's usually one of us starting on the other's back and then we'll switch and keep going. Right. You know, get uncomfortable. Comfortable being uncomfortable. That's exactly right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think from an EQ standpoint, you learn so much about emotional control. So many of these white belts, right? That I'm, you know, like as soon as I, as soon as I get on top, I mean, it's all, I mean, literally panic immediately, panic freak out mode. Mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, like, am I threatening you at all? I'm not threatening your throat. I'm not threatening your joints. You're not going to die. Like, just, like, let's just hang out here for 30 seconds, man. Just no, feel- I want to feel like you think I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I know you yeah. do. I know. I know. Yeah. You know, but for these white belts, I'm like, guys, like, half the battle is just chill out. Like, you got to control your breathing, right? Yeah. Which takes control of your emotions. Mm-hmm. You've got to control your emotions uh, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about West Point. So to follow up with that, once you became a commissioned officer, what lessons did you learn? What characteristics did you learn? Talk about that experience a little bit. There are a lot of emotionally unhealthy leaders in the Army is what I learned. Yeah. And I also learned that in very hierarchic, bureaucratic, rank-based environments, a lot of people resort and rely on rank and position versus leadership. Mm. Do what I tell you to do because I'm the captain and you're the lieutenant. Right. I'm the captain and you're the sergeant. I'm the colonel and you're the major. You're the first sergeant. You do what I tell you to do because my my rank out I outrank you. Mm. And that's the lowest form of leadership. If you look at John Maxwell's five levels of leadership, the lowest form of leadership is positional leadership. Do it because I told you to. Takes zero leadership skills. Mm. It is 100% rank. There's no leadership. Well, I think you can say the same thing for the fire service. Oh, yeah. And I've been sure. lucky this year. I won't say his name, but I've had a captain who's very good when we're on medical calls of passing off the leadership role to the paramedic who's running the scene. But then when it's time to be a captain, he has no problem stepping into that role. And on a fire ground, that, that style of leadership is necessary because everything's quick. Everything's needs to be done immediately as quickly as possible for the people inside. So it's just, that's awesome. But that, but he's flexible. You see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not always like that. Right. That that actually is something. So I was specifically going to talk about this. So, and it goes right in with what you just said. I was taught that there's three types of leadership. Okay. Authoritarian, democratic, laissez-faire. The more that I've been in the fire service and the more that I've been in a hierarchy, type system that you're talking about. It's not a flat organization by any means. The more that I think I realize that as a subordinate, what subordinates what subordinates appreciate or don't appreciate is when a style is either properly applied or misapplied. And what I mean by that is authoritarian is like, hey, you're doing this right now. We're on a fire ground like you're talking about. I'm giving you an order. There's a time component to it. Um, it could be high risk. Here's what you're doing. Around the station, though, when we're living together and we're working together and we have a relationship, it's democratic. Hey, what do, what do you guys want to do today? What do you want to do with the training calendar? What do you want to do and get out and, and do in district? Or 
maybe even uh, laissez-faire, completely hands-off, depending on what it is. Hey, we've got a senior crew of guys. I don't need to be involved in this decision-making process. I'll be in the office. You know, let me know if you need anything. So I, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on that. Do you feel like that's a, a fair assessment that leadership, a lot of uh, subordinates' perspective on a good leader is when they properly apply a leadership style? So, so excellent. That's excellent point. It takes emotional agility to do that. And not every leader can do that. Hmm. A lot when of times, emotional agility. Are you so saying like emotionally, emotional flexibility, emotional? Yep. Just, um, just, just to be clear. Yep. Yeah. So emotional agility, emotional flexibility, emotional. It takes emotional maturity, in my opinion, to be emotionally agile, to be able to know, like to be term. situationally yeah. aware, to know. Do I do an arm bar here? Do I do take the back here? Right. So it takes emotional agility to know what leadership style I apply based on the scenario. Some people may apply the laissez-faire on the fire ground. Bad. That's not the time yeah, to be laissez-faire. Bad. Right. It's also not the time to be authoritarian when you're back at the fire station. Mm-hmm. Dude, chill, bro. Like we've all been doing this for five years. Like right. you don't need to tell me to mop yeah. or to. Right. You know what I mean? To do extra training. Like yeah. We're, um, you know what I mean? And so, but again, not everyone can make that adaptation. Not everyone can make that decision because a lot of people I've also found, man, a lot of people are not aware of how they are perceived. Right. I guess that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, in a sense, it's good that like you have the confidence to not necessarily care. But at the same time, if you're coming off like a D bag, that's a big deal. You should probably remedy that. Right. I, I don't I don't know a scenario that that's a good thing mm-hmm. to not be aware of how you're coming across because that impacts your leadership mm. and your effectiveness. Yeah. Because I don't think it's the same as being well. You're just confident. Well, because you still know what you're you still know what you're giving off or what you're portraying, right? Absolutely. You know how 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 effective are you as a mentor? How do you even know? What are your metrics? For you as a mentor to know if you're effective. Yeah. Well, because I, well, I'm just a black belt, so I'm effective. Well, no, it doesn't. That's that right. Means you're, <laughs> that mean, right. <laughs> right? That means you're a great practitioner. Like, here's another perfect example. So, again, being in the business world for, for so, so long, there are some amazing physicians that do not need to run a business. Sure. They're, they're great medical doctors, excellent at sewing and cutting and all that stuff. You do not need to be in charge of people, bro. I've met lots of doctors like that. Yeah. You know, that they're make terrible business people. So, you know, again, and here's another point I was going to make about, about your comment about the different styles of leadership. I also think there's a difference between being a good leader and being a good mentor. Mm. I agree. I've met some good leaders in the army that are not good mentors. That, mm. that dope mentor, they just, but man, put them in a, put them in charge of something all day. They crush it, but ask them to actually take someone under the wing and mentor somebody. Dude, just watch me. Well, wouldn't yeah. you say though, I mean, that to me is more of an example of an acute leadership. Like we have a task. I maybe I need to build a shed and I've got 10 guys. Who's going to be the best guy to guide us into this project? That's an, like an acute leadership scenario. Or more of a chronic leadership scenario is I'm in charge of this unit for a period of time. Wouldn't that require mentorship? No. 
Okay. I actually think it goes back to this quote, which you might not have seen because you don't manage our Facebook page, <laughs> even though you're, you're an admin. I put I this on our Facebook page. A mentor is not somebody who walks ahead, ahead of you to show you how they did it. A mentor is someone who walks alongside you to show you what you can do. So maybe a good leader is not necessarily somebody who's going to take somebody under their wing, like you're saying, but a good leader could say, you know what? That guy is a good mentor. I'm going to assign him to help so-and-so get good at this skill. Delegated. Right. Mm. And, and again, okay. that would be that would be good leadership. But not. But he's still not developing right. anybody. Yeah. Well, right. I take that back. He, he Secondhand. Is indirectly. De- yeah. Right. It's exactly right. right. Yeah. Right. So, I, yeah. So anyway, I think there's definitely differentiation. And now here's another thing, too. A good mentor does also not mean you're necessarily a good leader either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think it's definitely different skill sets. So we'll change topics here a little bit. We talked a little bit about jujitsu. Um, what? Let me pull this up really quick. I'm not as organized as John is. So. Uh, you're relatively new to jujitsu, and for those people that don't train, um, but you see a brown belt or a black belt, that person's probably been training 10, 15 years. So. When I say Noble is relatively new, you've been training three or four years? Yeah, I think four years now, yeah. So coming up on that, you know, maybe purple belt mark in the next few years or the halfway mark. So, um, But what I know what value I find in it. John and I have talked about what value he finds in it. What value do you find in it as someone that's relatively new to it? Why did you decide to pick it up at this point in your life? Why do you continue to do it? So... For those of y'all who, who can't see me, I have lots of gray in my beard, and I am old he's a, school. He's a complete unit. I, <laughs> I am old school like Run DMC and Cool Modi and Simon and Garfunkel. So I am that old, y'all. So so and I so I started Jits obviously very very late in my life, and um, so the reason I started Jits is because I was a brown belt black belt in business, not a lot was new for me in business. Gotten comfortable. There's not a business scenario that you could have looking thrown at for me. a new area to grow. Wanted to find some, what's my next challenge. Yeah. Now I say that it was actually because we wanted to get our daughter involved in some stuff. We homeschool. And so I wanted, okay, what I wanted my kid to learn some practical stuff. Not I wanted her to do, you know, physical stuff, but I wanted her to do practical physical stuff. Not just like, oh I want to learn and no offense for ballet people out there. I'm sure there's life skills that you can learn. But with JITS, it's self-defense, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like a super applicable thing for life. Plus, it's, you know, my, it's a daughter, right? So I want her to learn how to defend herself, handle her business. We took her to this gym in, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina called Team Rock, which is where all the special forces guys or the instructors there. And so all of them are studs. All of them are animals. And what's, what I dug about that gym, for example, where I got, we got started was they were not teaching necessarily points. This is how you defend yourself or if you need to kill somebody, right? This is survival stuff, real life stuff. And I was terrified, dude, terrified to, to, to start actually me rolling. Ter- you know, again, I'm brown belt, black belt in business. I have not felt like a white belt in a long time mm. in any area of my life. So I'm like, oh, but, but I love learning. I'm like, man, but this is why I need to do it is because I'm terrified. This is why I've got to do this. And so I'm like, oh, crap. I'm fat. I'm troublicious. I'm old. All this stuff. 
like Chubbalicious, that's a new word right, for me. That's right, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I prefer thicker than a sticker. <laughs> I prefer swole, right? There you go. <laughs> and so, but I, man, so that's what got me started. I started rolling. I'm like, oh man. And, and then I, I started to learn all some, some additional benefits and the life lessons. There's so many, again, now I go for therapy, right? It's my therapy session, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, it is, it is um, therapy for all three of those reasons. It, it really trains you in so many different, how about, again, humility, man, is a big one. You can't go into JITS with an ego, right? You know, uh, now I've heard John Danaher say it differently. So again, he's obviously, he's been doing it way for his life, much longer than me. And one of the things that he shared was, which I thought was an interesting insight. He said, if, if, if somebody is a, is a jackass going into JITS, they're just going to be a bigger jackass. Versus if they're a nice guy, they're going to even be more of a nice guy. He said, so jits like money, the money piece is what I say, but jits like money reveals the character of whoever's got it. Mm. Mm. So if you're a good dude with money, you'll be a great dude with money. If you're a good dude with jits, you'll be a great dude as a higher belt. But if you're a prick going into jits and you stick with it, you're just going to be a bigger prick with moves now you, you know? get me at that point just exactly. a bigger prick precisely <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't been my experience with you, bro <laughs> you've been awesome uh, thank you appreciate but it. no there have been dude I, there was a, at my first gym there was this guy and, and it's let me show the the, the the punchline before i show the story he is an incredible guy when he was going to jits he was going through some major life challenges that played out against speaking of eq played out on the mats he was a blue belt probably should have been a brown belt and so he was a blue belt when i was a white belt learning at this gym he would literally mow through all of us yeah. and mow through some blue belts mow through through some purple belts and even uh, you know some brown belts he was that good but was a complete rear end like would hurt all of us just no awareness and just would crush people. We'd say tap and he'd keep the lock on until mm-hmm. like the fifth or sixth or seventh tap. And so finally the, again, the guys are some of the instructors, a couple of black belts are like, dude, I told you 10 times to chill out. You're not chilling out. So they, they put this other guy, Brown belt, four stripes on him. He's like, okay, you ready? Slap hands. And this Brown belt destroyed him. Dest- probably tapped him out six times in six minutes. And he's like, listen, man, you're hurting people. We're not tolerant. It. So, so either you bounce or you chill out when you roll people now. Yeah. And so it's a pretty common scenario. In oh, oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, mat, mat enforcement. That's got what, it. That's what it's, yeah. Got the, it. The term, and he, yeah. he eventually chilled out, but it took like one of you guys to humble this guy. Like, dude, you got to chill out cause you're hurting people. Right. Dude, so, I had that experience when I first started. Just being a bigger guy, wrestled a little bit. It took me a really long time to figure out how to roll with everybody. Mm. You know, like probably two, two plus years. Wow. It just took, I, I just conceptually, I couldn't wrap my head around like, okay, this person's a brown belt, but they're also 55 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah, This sure. person's a 
purple belt, but I outweigh him by a hundred pounds. You know what I mean? Like I just didn't conceptually get that at first. I was kind of always like, okay, well, you, that's yeah. your belt rank, you know? Like yeah, I, I, I have to kill you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> took me took me a long time to figure out that people have different goals in life, and you know, me being a twenty something year old guy can't roll the same with everybody. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And that takes awareness. It takes yeah. right others' awareness. Your own self-awareness, right? You're so emotionally aware, man. I, yeah. <laughs> years and years of cultivation, buddy. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, no, that's that's good. But it, so uh, even on that point, right, it, it takes intention because I have, you know, I guess let me say it this way. Emotional intelligence and emotional maturity is not guaranteed by age. Certainly. I've met 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds that are very emotional. Well, I would argue a lot of it has to do with what you've done to develop yourself. Yeah. And it, you, it, you could even narrow it down to have you paid attention to that specific thing. You know, because you, you could be very successful in many different areas and then not have ever really given how you're handling life emotionally a thought. That's exactly right. Well, it's like... It's like a, a black belt in jits does not mean you're a black belt in Muay Thai or a black belt in Taekwondo or a black mm -hmm. belt in, right? Or, or I've had it this way too, just because you're a cardiologist does not mean you're a brain surgeon. Yeah. That's yeah. great. You've got 30 years of operating on, you know, on hearts, but dude, you, you don't know anything about brains. I think more simply said, a black belt in Jiu Jitsu doesn't mean you're a black belt in life. Yeah. That's yeah. That's great. Right. That's a real common right. one. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. So, okay. I've got a little question for you here. I think we've got two more and then we'll wrap up. What is one of the most difficult experiences you've had as a mentor, and how did you handle it? Was it dealing with John? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> this guy just doesn't get it. <laughs> That's right. No, so I think for me, the hardest thing, the hardest thing uh, probably has been overcoming my own low EQ. Mm. And... You know, uh, and and when that bumps up with other people's low EQ, when you've got two people with low EQs engaging each other, a great way to say it is there you got two emotional white belts, regardless of their status or position, they're the fire chief or the whatever they're they're the CEO or whatever. And again, I've seen emotional white belts regardless of rank, and so realizing that just just because someone is in jujitsu does not mean they have the same goals as you yeah and 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 it also does not mean that they have the same hunger as you right so for me i want to learn as much as i can from every aspect of jits that i can not just because i want to be good at competing or I want to be a master of arm bars. I, I want to learn. I want to learn everything I can about about you know. I want to learn as much as I can. Not everyone has that same that same mindset mm -hmm. about jits or about life. So emotional intelligence. Not everyone cares. Yeah. In fact, and in fact, even further. So we've got there's. Uh, I think in, in our tw there episodes twenty seven, twenty nine, and thirty one somewhere in there in our in our podcast. My wife does three episodes on the dark side of emotional intelligence. There are some people who learn emotional intelligence to control and manipulate better. Hmm. Not cool, right? Like, an, like an FBI interrogator. 
Yeah, maybe right. maybe like that's right. Maybe yeah. like an interrogator. That's well, exactly that would be right. like the bright side of the dark side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great perspective. Yeah, because for them it would be their job. But there are some right. people like I just want to manipulate you better. Well, there's books out there written by I can't remember the name of the book, but it's a guy used to be an FBI interrogator. Boss. He basically, yep. Yes. And he write he writes a book on basically how to manipulate people. Wow. Yes. Right. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So for narcissists, man, let me get that book so I can learn how to control people better. Right. right? But for me, I want to learn how to be a better human, a better man, husband, father, leader, entrepreneur, mentor, coach. So anyway, so for me, it's, it's just, it was, it's, that's the hardest thing has just been overcoming and working through my own low EQ, my own low emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and figuring out how I can, how I can continue to grow and improve and get better. Cause the other, the other slippery slope is, this is one thing I, I do in some of my workshops is I have folks list list all the areas that you know the most about in life. So jujitsu, leadership, fire, being a fireman, whatever, all the different things. And then I say, okay, that list that you wrote down are the specific areas that you are probably the least teachable in. Because you think you know it all. So it creates this psychological, this this subtle cycle. You can, you can subtly wrap this pride around the areas that you think you know the most about, which a lot, which creates a less teachable person. Mm. And, and for me as I'm a man, I can be guilty of that. I think I am too. Yeah. I think yeah. we all can. Yeah. yeah. It's a human, I think it's human nature. Right. And so for me as a professional lifelong learner and mentor and coach, I, n- I, I want to be very aware of that. So I don't do that, mm-hmm. but I, I always want to be teachable in every area, regardless of where, whether I think I know a lot about it or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's Absolutely. a great perspective. Absolutely. Um, I will give you last question. Yep. That's yeah. the last one. Last one. Um, you've talked about jujitsu. You've talked about West Point, your journey through emotional intelligence. You brought up some of these authors. Um, what was the book you brought up? The... So a couple of them. Personality Plus by Florence Littauer. Grit okay. by Angela Duckworth are a just, couple of them. Just as some examples. Um, but who are the people that, that you look up to in the different areas of your life? So and I, I guess to add on to that, I apologize for interrupting, but what, what are the characteristics that you're seeking out in those people? So, and I love, those are great questions. And I love Ramiko's answer. That's kind of where I'm at too. So, Biblical characters have been have been kind of the longest term mentors and stuff. Certainly, and the characteristics. Let me say. So let me talk about the biblical guys first. Outside of Jesus, because Jesus specifically picked some ragtag, dysfunctional dudes to be part of his his A team, which I can relate with because of all the junk in my trunk and all my own issues and that kind of thing. And so to, to, to see how he has used the Davids and the Jonas and the Moseses and the Gideons and the Peters and Pauls and Judases and all these Thomases, all these different folks that had issues, there's hope for me that he can, he can use guys like me. Other things that I look for in mentors, and you guys have mentioned it cause I've listened to all your, your podcast episodes competence in an area mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also a big one for me is humility which the third thing is are they still learning 
That's huge. Because if someone has, so there's two types of mindsets, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Fixed mindset people, I am not attracted to at all. There's, there's not a lot that attracts me to a fixed mindset person. Someone that thinks that they have arrived in any category, I don't care if they're a black belt or not, if they think they've arrived, I, there's not a lot, even though they could probably teach me stuff, it's just tough for me to emotionally engage mm-hmm. with that yeah. person. I haven't heard and, that term before, fixed mindset. That's that's not that's a great way of describing it. So yeah. So growth mindset people are people that I'm super attracted to. That's why I love Professor Marcello. Like the yeah. dude has been rolling for thirty years. Like it's mind boggling to think how many like how many hours that dude has on the mat is mind boggling. Because another thing that uh, appeals to me is mastery. Mastery is not a big thing in America nowadays, and but you can find it in the martial arts, yeah. Because people pursue mastery, and what I think is so appealing about Professor Marcello, a lot of things, but one is this dude's got thirty years on the mats. He's fourth degree black belt, and the guy is still hungry and learning. Mm-hmm. When he yesterday class, right? Oh man, yeah, I learned all this stuff from John. He's teaching me all kinds of stuff. Like, just that mindset. Like, I love that. As a learner, I always want. When I'm seventy, I want to have that same mindset. When I'm ninety, I want to still have that same mindset. So that's another quality and characteristic. And then also, do they value mentoring? In, in fact, when Professor came in, I, I got in the same day he did from his trip from Florida. He was gone for four or five days. Then I, he opened the door and I was there when he opened the door and I'm like, Hey professor, how you doing? He's like, he's like, man, I, I just missed teaching. Like it, vacation was cool, but man, I like the dude has a hunger to pass on the skinny, right? Mm-hmm. That loves teaching. So that's, that's another thing that you know, they even enjoy like, okay, it's great. You're a fourth degree black belt, but you also may hate teaching, right? I don't want to teach you anything. Like you got to, Hey, learn yourself. I had to learn my, right. And there's yeah. people like that. I've met people like that. So anyway, that's another quality that I that I value. But anyway, growth mindset is a bit competence, humility, growth mindset. Do they enjoy teaching? Are they passionate about it? Are all things that that I look for in a mentor? And then also I ask myself, do I demonstrate those as as a guy who wants to be a better mentor and leader and influencer? Do I demonstrate the qualities that I look for in others? Because sometimes I've seen this in a lot of proteges they have an expectation for their mentor that they don't keep for themselves. Mm. I expect you to be something that I'm not willing to be. Well, what's that about, dude? Right. If I expect have a certain expectation for you, well, I, I should meet the same level of expectation I have for a mentor. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, that's our uh, formal questions. Thanks for joining us. Anybody who wants to get more information about Noble and some of the stuff that he's talked about, particularly with EQ, he's got a podcast called EQ Gangster. You can find Love him on it. Facebook, Such a good name. YouTube. <laughs> he's got a Spotify just like we do. Much more successful than us. <laughs> way more. He's <laughs> been doing it way, longer. <laughs> way more episodes. You'll probably get way more value out of his episodes than you do here. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are dropping fire, yeah. man, for but real. Seriously, thank you for taking the time to come by. You're a mentor of mine. Um, I, you know, we've talked about infection, yeah. how infectious your personality yeah. is. And, you know, I, I, love I definitely you learned a gym, lot. Man. I love having Thank you, you in there. Thank yep. you. Yeah. Likewise. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you guys. Thank you everybody again for tuning in for episode four. 
We hope you enjoyed the content. We hope you've enjoyed the content so far. There's a few things that you can do to help this podcast grow and get the word out if you'd like to do so. The first thing would be tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is great. Sharing it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform you have would be greatly appreciated. But also, if you haven't already, we do have a Facebook page and an Instagram page as well. On Facebook, we're at, at Mentor Podcast. That's at Mentor Podcast. And on Instagram, we are at Mentor Podcast CO. That's at Mentor Podcast CO. Thank you again for your constant support, and we look forward to sharing more episodes with you soon.